it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, speak about beer. I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. Midway through last year, we had a conversation with Gage Rhodes co-founder John Hodemacher and Chief Strategy Officer Aaron Heary about the origins and history of the publicly listed brewery. It was a really well-received episode and one that received an unusually high response at the time, with many of you saying how interested you were to hear that history, which really hadn't been discussed that much in the past. In that chat, we filled the episode just talking about the brewery's background and didn't delve much into where Gage Roads is now and where it's going, as it has just celebrated 15 years in business. So when I had the chance to catch up with Aaron just before Christmas, it seemed a good chance to go into some of that with Aaron and understand how the business is adapting to the changing market, including the soon-to-open Atomic Beer Project in Sydney. It's a wide-ranging chat that covers everything from the recent release of a reimagining of its first beer that incorporates cryo hops that weren't even available when the brewery first launched, through to what he has learned about brand and business and how he is applying it to its future. I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Aaron Heary, welcome to Beer as a Conversation, or I should say welcome back to Beer as a Conversation. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks, Matt. You know, I'm not sort of, uh, kissing your ass or anything like that, but it was one of the, the really well-received chats that we've, we've had in, Good, in, in 2019 because I think a lot of people wanted to know about Gage Roads and some of the history that you know is, is so long ago that a lot of people weren't around or weren't, weren't beer wasn't on the horizon when you guys listed. Yeah, no, it was. It was 15 years ago, so we're actually just celebrating 15 years at the moment. And um, uh, yeah, it was it was quite a while ago. I know John um, John actually enjoyed the chat, I think, and he, he, it's hard to get him uh, in front of the microphone sometimes. But yeah, no, it was great, and it's good to be back here and talking uh, all things beer in sunny Queensland. Yeah, well, let's not rehash. Um, and I would direct direct everybody to the earlier podcast if you want to find out a little bit about how we got here, but. Because we spent so much time going through the background of, of Gage and you know the, the um, IPO and the business side of things, um, we, we didn't really talk about where Gage is at now and where it's going. Um, and you know, I, I find the, the the beer market just fascinating at the moment. It's 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 fracturing and it's growing and and all of these things. And you know, I guess you guys are a great bellwether for you know how things are going because you started as you know, being, as a brewer making fairly traditional, um, you know, lager um, when you started, and yet you're now a multi-layered beverage company in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, oh, look, I, I, I don't know about that, but we, we are, um, yeah, we do have a number of brands now that we're, um, yeah, that we're uh, making and brewing and selling, and um, I think uh, that comes with its with its own sort of set of challenges as well, but, um, you know, I think you actually alluded to in the last podcast. Oh, you know, imagine you bring, bought that lager bag, um, and 
uh, the, you know, the original lager and we've just, we've just actually just done that. And I was, it was really funny because I was kind of, if you get, go back and listen, I was tripping over my words a bit because we were in the process <laughs> no, of, right. of, of doing it and I was sworn by, by our team not to, not to say anything about it. But I went, thanks for the scoop. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can say now that, you know, we've just, we've just re-brewed that original, that original lager. Um, and so I think for us, look, it, it comes back to um, we, we're still as passionate about beer and the beer industry and the craft beer industry as we were back then and and if if anything more passionate i mean it's exciting now that we do have these opportunities to be able to do little side projects and and, you know build little breweries in other places and do this type of stuff and relaunch you know our our gauge lager and that was you know the, the team were just so passionate about that um you know digging through literally pulled out the old paper recipes from a filing cabinet that's dusty and sitting in the corner of my office and then getting all the younger brewers to have a look at it and go this is the original recipes and what would you do a little bit differently what would you do the same would you like the you know what let's talk about it and so we went through that process and brewed a a number of um a number of batches of that probably took three or four to to get it right and some of the the hops uh have changed slightly but other than that it's very very similar to that original beer so if anyone's out there that's listening that remembers so that what's original, it called it's called um it's in a 500 mil can and it's called the um it's called gauge road small batch lager and it's a original uh pure malt lager okay so we've just just launched it I, I i um i was trying to find somewhere that sells it on the way down um <laughs> to, to your office but uh i couldn't alas i couldn't find it but i'll get some to you that in itself is quite interesting because when you went back to the to, to look at the recipe were, for example, the hops and the malts that went into that, are they still commonly available or would you have had to substitute even if you didn't want to? Yeah, it was definitely, it was a malt-driven um, lager, so there was no sugar added to it. It was all malt lager and those malts are all readily available. It was sort of based off a German-style Vienna, mate, probably cross hellers, but more German Vienna-style beer. And we, we used a lot of Munich malts and these types of things from, um, from Germany, obviously. Uh, and that was... Um, they're all readily available. Now, the, with the hopping, one, one of the things we have been experimenting with a little bit is, um, and with that lager, we used we used some some New Zealand hops um, back in the day to try and get a little bit of uh, aroma into the beer, but we also used some traditional German hops like, um, you know, Hallertau's and Hersbrucker's and these types of things. Um, and then we used, um, we used a, 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 a hop called Sterling. So those sort of all those, uh, that's out of the US, but it's basically a Hallertau derivative. And so those... Those, um, so was that in the former version or the current version? Both. Okay. So, so it's very it's very true up to that. And then what we have done is we've just played a little bit around with using a little bit of these cryo hops that um, are coming onto the market, and they're really cool. Uh, do you, have you have you done a podcast on those? Your listeners know know, know what they yeah, are. Yeah, well, we've talked a little bit about them, but yeah. um, again, it never hurts to uh, to, to go over. Well, those. they use a nitrogen, um, a liquid nitrogen process, in which case they're really distilling those those hop oils um, down to you know the purest form and getting away from um you don't get the really green flavors that yeah getting away from hops. those grassy type of flavors that you get when you use pellet hops in in, in dry hopping and certainly in, in lager beer it's not really the sort of thing you want um you know in a lager beer are those kind of grassy sort of phenolic type, type, type um phenol sort of characters you get from from hops sometimes and um you know polyphenols and things like that 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 can cause that sort of grassy astringency and so with the cryo hops you really don't get any of that so you can put just a little bit in just a tiny it, you won't be able to really tell you it's not it's not it's very quite subtle but um yeah we just put a little bit of that in so we just sort of played around a little bit with it and used a bit of poetic license and we put it in a much more sort of fun uh bright can um 
Not too bright. Out. You might come up against a back. <laughs> no, it doesn't look. It doesn't look like it's going to appeal to children. But it, it is um, the original lager we came out with was sort of a, a bit more of a traditional pack. Yep. Um, you know, brown glass bottle with the sort of the um, the label had a bit of silver on it or something like that. And uh, yeah, this has gone much more sort of down the uh, the craft beer kind of kind of uh, route, which is good. And uh, how long has it been in market for? Have you had any it's, feedback it, from it? It's just being launched at the moment. Okay. And it's um, yeah, it's really. Uh, getting a lot, a lot of good feedback actually. So one of the things that when we first launched that beer, I think we touched on it last time, was that it was too challenging for for lager consumers. And I think now when people drink it, they'll go, "Wow, that's just how far we've all come together, and that's how far our palates have have come as a as a collective." That now this beer that was too challenging, people are probably going to drink that and go, "Oh, wow, that's an interesting lager," but it's it, certainly not too challenging. It, it's pretty approachable. And <laughs> yeah. funnily enough, I uh, I made exactly the same comment to Chuck Hahn um, when he was talking about the original Hahn premium lager. Um, same story, you know, it was a little bit too challenging. So they t- dialed it back a little bit and he's just uh, come up and brewed a batch of that um, at the Charming Squire here with us. Uh, so we're going to launch that. So it, 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 it is fascinating to see how much tastes have changed and, you know, some of these lagers that were once too challenging or too full um, are for a certain drinker very approachable you know there, there is kind of a resurgence going on uh, around the world in in craft lager and um you know these are, are lager beers that are interpretations of traditional styles and um but you know it's really it's really kind of funny when you do go back and you look at it what it was what be what the beer market was even in you know i think when when, when did chuck launch um the han premium it was that was 88 88 so yeah so even in the 90s you know people that that type of beer was very challenging for people and um those, tra- those just those traditional styles and so um now i think those traditional styles are being reinterpreted again and people are adding all sorts types of hops and things to the, to those lagers which is really interesting so to some stage uh gauge roads has gone back to the future um in, in a way with this but then there's a whole range of styles that are in the market now that weren't even envisaged uh, when Gage Road started. You know, are, are you guys getting into the, 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 the hazies and the sort of lactose, uh, you know, IPAs? Um, you know, you never say never. Um, we are, I think with the Gage Road's brewery, we're really keen on brewing really good beer uh, based off solid beer, beer styles and i think you know you do see fads come and go and i don't think we've really participated in fads too much i think especially of late i think we're really just focused on making really good beer probably in more some of the more traditional styles but um or modern traditional styles i guess but um and i think there's a place in the market everyone's sort of got to know their place a little bit and I, I love going out and trying all these experimental beers from the smaller brewers in the pointy end of the market and I, you know as a brewer you know I, I used to work in a brew pub in Canada and we used to brew a whole lot of crazy stuff as well and I really really love that but um, it's probably not necessarily the sort of thing that we feel that we'd do justice to maybe or the best job of but who, who, who knows you know you might see a NEPA come out of us you might see a, a hazy IPA or what have you I, I um yeah Un- unlike last time there's nothing in the in the in the mix right right this moment but okay. we have we have just launched um a beer uh called a, uh, the VHA uh, which is a very hoppy ale and it's basically um a supercharged single fin in a way like it's mm-hmm. a very 
um, light um, malt um, body to it, um, but it's um, 5.2% alcohol, so we've beefed up the alcohol and put a whole, whole lot of um, late hops in it, used some cryo hops in there again. So we're really experimenting with these cryo hops um, and a, and a, a mid-strength um, a craft mid-strength as well called Sidetrack that we've just been doing recently and um, we just launched recently as well. It's going really, really well for us and we've used cryo hops in that as well. And, you know, we've got the whole atomic range that we've done as well, this side project, and we've been doing experimenting with um, a whole bunch of different types of hops and cryo hops and things in that as well. So it's, I think that's really um, – there's been a whole lot going on in, as far as the development um, of new beers go coming out of the brewery and that's been particularly exciting for us you know in this next sort of phase of, of where we're going and that's the stuff we love doing it's the stuff we get excited about and um yeah there's been a, a little bit of um session testing going on in the background <laughs> so, let, let's talk about atomic because i don't think you're quite ready to announce that at that when, when we spoke last time or you had just uh, sort of started talking about it but the brew pub in uh, sydney is coming on have you, have you you've got council approval and yes yeah we do so we've we've um had the da with the demolition team have been in there and stripped it out it's in um in redfern on regent street um and uh it's 158 regent street if anyone's interested in driving past and having a look um and uh, it's really really like a, a great little area you know it's um Red, redfern's got a bit of that sort of notoriety about it the suburb itself and i quite liked that as a as a concept to build a a, a side project for gauge roads around something that gauge roads is a very coastal lifestyle um type of a brand and we wanted something that was maybe a bit more urban and gritty and something that we could um play around with i don't i don't think that's um and i really wanted to give it a home right so i, I but i didn't think that that was necessarily going to be the greatest thing coming out of our brewery i really wanted to to build it have its own brewery and have its own personality and its own life and so um yeah redfern seemed to us to be the perfect place for it and we're expecting that to open say march or april probably more april i'd say that's great we've got a great brewer that's come across from um, gauge roads nick ivy so he's um he's heading that up and he's going in there every day and supervising it uh, he's got a very nice attention to detail and um, we've bought the brewery which is um coming from dme out of um out of the, of the dme um uh company and um yeah so i think we um expect that to arrive just shortly after after christmas mm-hmm. um and uh yeah so that's really exciting and i don't think that um is a novel concept you know i think you see you see uh fixation from stone and wood say for example or, or white rabbit from little little creatures back in the day um and i, I think sometimes you, like we all want to do new things and play around but sometimes a brand has its limitations and so sometimes creating something new and and really giving that its own life and to to breathe its own run its own race can give you much more sort of flexibility to do some of that sort of um, that's what i was going to ask because it loops back to the question i asked earlier yeah some of that that more experimental stuff that we we kind of feel um would be great to be able to do with a venue um so you're not necessarily going to the wholesale market all the time with all these crazy experimentals you're you're doing it with a um over a bar you know, with the venue and then you can say okay well that that we find that really interesting or um that was really really cool let's let's tweak that and then we can take that out to say maybe more limited releases and um those types of things out of that that out of that project so that's probably our experimental arm i guess yeah it, it's interesting that you, you talk about that, that, you, that there are some things that you can't do as a as a core brand because particularly after 15 years gauge whether whether you've created that brand or consumers have 
received a brand that they've created in their own minds but there are a whole lot of things that you can't do is, is that something that you would have expected when you first started um gauge roads one of the things that you you have to realize or that we that i realize is that you can't be all things to all people and so i think our um brewery gauge roads um we're really tapping into um uh, a drinker that was potentially drinking lager not long ago and they're really moving into um our our, our um you know brands like single fin for example is just going crazy at the stadium you know people it's really going through a lot of that and um and it's sort of um we've we've developed a lot of trust with the consumer in and around the gauge roads brand in in, a, in that we are a genuine craft brewery that's been for 15 years there's a lot of trust from that that um, consumer drinking that beer um and our, and our beer fans and um when we uh go if we were to go and launch a you know a kettle soured you know watermelon warhead or you know whatever mm. it might be th- that consumer that's drinking that might oh there's a new thing from gauge oh you know that's not my cup of tea um but it might be the cup of tea for you know uh an- another another drinker but they're not necessarily uh going to be drawn to to the gauge rose brand so i think you you, you might you, you sort of go well we want to do more um, experimental stuff but it's not necessarily the vehicle um through through gauge uh i think the, the atomic beer project um in redfern will, will give us that and um at the same time not necessarily alienate those people that have you know given our brand a lot of trust um along along the way is, is it one of the challenges of growing that you become less intimately connected to your customer and sometimes the beer has to stand alone as you said you know if suddenly they're accustomed to a certain style of beer if, if you create something different at a brew pub and when people come up your, your bar staff can say what about this um try this this is what it is as opposed to somebody going into a BWS or a Dan's and picking up something because they recognise the brand and going, ooh, this is completely not what I expected. Yeah, and, and I think, um, look, when you look at, let's say you look at these shelves right now of um, craft beer in, in some of these stores, you go into it and you, you're literally just hit with a wall of colour and all these different beer styles. And I think the industry got a long way or is a long way in front of aware of a lot of consumers are. I think the consumers are really catching it, catching up, obviously quickly, and understand you know what an IPA is and a pale ale is. But do they understand um, you know what a you know some of these sour beer styles that might be more traditional to Belgium or you know all these new interpretations and names and all the crazy stuff that's coming out with you know tree bark from the Amazon and <laughs> in a beer and these types yep. of things. And um, when they when they see that, I think a lot of consumers. Um, who are not necessarily really, really invested in the pointy end of craft beer get confused and they go back to what they trust. And so I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time developing a brand that I think people really do trust. And now in WA, I think the latest, you know, market data came out saying it was something like 25% of the of the retail craft beer market. That's a, that's, that's a lot of people that are trusting our brands and going in. So you've got 25% of the retail market? Of the craft. Of the craft, okay. Yeah. And so I think that's, um, that's a lot of people who um, are going in and going, I, I want what I trust. And they're going back and re- repeat buying it. And what we're hearing from retailers and, and you know publicans is that people are experimenting with um, a can or, or uh, a six pack maybe um, of of or a couple of cans or you know bottles of things that, that are new or and then they go and buy a six pack or a carton of, of something that they trust and that 
hopefully we're in that repertoire of those brands that they trust. And so I think when, when you go to launch something totally crazy um, that we, we don't necessarily want to um, mess with that and uh, mess with that trust, that person that's going, I trust Gage Roads is going to fit this type of uh, this part of the market. And, and, you know, we, I think we pushed the boundaries as much as we, as we, we have like over the years, um, you know, little dove and, and these types of things. But I think, um, you know, some of the limited release, I think we did some Belgian ales and stuff a while back and um, big kind of uh, Australian strong ales and all these kind of, all these kind of beers. But um, at the end of the day, I think you can, people can or a brand can fall into the trap of trying to be too many things to too many people and i think this atomic beer project is is um catering to maybe that the pointier end a little bit you sort of touched on it there but it was one of the questions i was going to come to was single fin huge seller um and then we see beers like furphy um the the beers that are really getting really you know very very strong growth in in the market and becoming the dominant craft beer brands are beers that are probably, you know, just in, in, in flavour terms, a half step up from the, the, the traditional lagers. Is that water find, you know, is that a case of water finding its own level and that, you know, it's, it's almost the promise of craft beer as being, uh, you know, a, a, an incredibly flavour-forward beer revolution w- w- was a lie and that people just want to drink the same thing just better? I think, I think Single Fin is a revolution for, for um, a lager beer drinker that was used to drinking a mainstream lager beer 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So at the same time, um, and you hear this criticism of some of the, some of the brands. It, it wasn't around. criticism. It, it was just an, a, a, you know, because it, it's only criticism if you assume that the right thinking beer drinker is going to drink something that's triple hopped. Which, yeah, w- w- no, w- which, no, I was just sort of getting there. The, 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 um, I think the... You know, from other brands that have been in the marketplace for a long period of time, and they people, you know, some certain brands I, I won't mention the brand names, but have been accused of watering down their beer or yep. or what have you over the years. And and the the argument is that um, well, no, the, the the market has shifted, and the palate has shifted, and um, I think that people, you know, the trend is people are drinking less, they're drinking better, they're drinking more um, premium, higher flavored they're more interested and engaged in what they're drinking what they're putting into their bodies these days it's not just about going down and getting completely hammered on a friday and saturday night um people are drinking beer with food and these types of things and so the whole market is shifting that way um but at the same time our climate that we have here is hot and quite often dry um the types of beers that resonate i believe personally in northern territory in you know in queensland and in western australia where the climates are particularly hot um quite often um do suit a, a more sessionable style and so i think you do see the, the, the likes of the stoner woods the single fins um and these types of brands doing quite well particularly in those environments and then down um where where it's cooler like certainly when i'm down on the south coast somewhere and um, I'm cold. I want a beer that's maybe a bit more hearty and got a lot more flavour to it. And I think you see some of the brands that start up in those types of areas doing doing better in the more sort of full flavoured part of part of the market. But in broad 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 terms, like, are we ever going to reach 
you know, like the likes of the US or, or these kind of places that are really dominated by huge IPAs. I think that's the biggest category there in the in the marketplace. And well, but that's uh, only in the craft beer marketplace because it, it, and it's still only I think uh, you know ten percent so, yeah. um, you know, of the market. So it's if even if IPAs have thirty, forty, fifty percent of the craft beer market. That, that still only makes them three, four, five percent of the of the total beer market. So it's hardly dominant. I mean, most people on those figures are still drinking much lighter styles. Yeah, um, yeah, I I, I I I take that point. But I guess the um, where the craft beer market has gone, and so I think yep. here the craft beer market is is um, potentially. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll ever it'll if it'll ever it'll ever get there uh, to that to that sort of um, point and um, the, some of these more sessionable styles I'm not sure where Furphy to me sort of feels like more Cooper Cooper's kind of pale ale sort of space but um, then I think you go to that next sort of step up into sort of like those really hop I think that hop aroma is mm-hmm. for people for some people um, I certainly remember you know back in the day like you talk about going 15 20 years ago you'd, you'd put a beer under someone's nose that had that hop aroma in it and a lot of people were were offended by that i, and, I don't want fruity because they yeah. equate fruity with sweet yeah what, what, what's this you put a bunch of flowers in my beer <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah i remember people saying that to me across the bar and and um and so now i think that's that's moved on people actually really quite enjoy that um, that hop aroma in, in a beer, and so, but but if you've got a light bodied style beer, it's got not really lovely sort of hop aroma to it, um, and I think that's enough for a lot of people. And certainly, I've gone through a big journey with my own craft beer, where it was, um, you know, I started at Little Creatures, as you know, with brewing American style pale ale, went overseas, worked overseas for a couple of years in the Canada in Canada and the U.S. markets, where it was just more hops, more hops, more hops, more bitterness, more bitterness, mm. more bitterness, and then. Um, you know, at some point you kind of go, this 100 IBU, IPA, you know, triple hop, late, whatever, blah, 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 is, is um, it's, you reach that sort of crescendo and then I've sort of, my own personal journey is that I've come back down to really trying to drink beers that are more balanced and, and fit with the occasion a bit more and um, it's not so much about trying to push the boundary of, um, my own palate or my with, with, with every beer it's not pushing with them. every beer yeah if I'm on the back of a boat now I don't really necessarily am always thinking about the beer I'm drinking it's just that I'm there with my friends and I'm having a good time and I want to drink a beer I want something that's more interesting than a lager but not necessarily going to blow my head off like it's, you know a, a sour beer or a beer from a, like a really high um, uh, IBU kind of uh, IPA West Coast IPA or something like that but um I think there's there's occasions for that, and when I'm like I say, when I'm camping, when it's cold or what have you, I really enjoy that style of beer. That dark, there's some of the darker beers or some of those really bitter um, IPAs and things like that. I love that, and um, but it, but it's more just occasion based, uh, and and the mood and the moment yep. about what what you're about, and I just as much love a great lager beer. I, I'm very much the same, and it, it it's it, it's a curve that I've noticed a lot of craft drinkers go on, where they start. They discover flavour, they get excited by flavour, they chase flavour and they it, it chase the challenge of more flavour. But then there comes a point when it starts to go down again. And I guess my question for, that, um, for craft brewers is, is that going to happen as well um, for things like willingness to spend? You know, you, you're willing to, when, you, when you're on that upslope and you're chasing excitement, you're willing to pay for it. 
But once you do come back to flavour and balance and style, you don't have that excitement driving your purchasing decisions and you're willing to come back a little bit or you want to come back a little bit on price because you don't have that excitement generating the, you know, you to open your wallet further. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't really um, linked it to price like that before. It's a really interesting concept. I think you're probably right, you know, in some, in some respects. But I do, I do sort of, I think we are still seeing people, um, more people, coming into the craft beer market, going through that journey, more people. So the people that maybe have been in there for 10 years or 15 years are probably doing that, you're right. But there's still new people coming into the space that are chasing that journey. And I think while people continue to migrate from mainstream sort of lager beers into the craft beer market, we're probably going to continue to see growth in all segments of that of the craft beer market, mm. which is it's just great for all craft breweries and and bars out there you know i think bars as well really benefiting from craft beer as well they make more margin out of craft beers and um and can sell things for a higher price and stuff like that so i think it's it's quite good for um the industry at the same time as um you know the the um the drinking culture sort of um becoming a bit more sophisticated than it was and um and i think craft beer's got a really big part to play in that as well but do you think that's a challenge? Because I, I, I take your point that a lot more people are coming to craft, but th- these days I'm much more likely to hear someone talk about the high price of craft beer rather than that, the, 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 I don't want flowers in my beer, I don't want to pay $85 a carton. And uh, and $85 is fairly cheap for a lot of the very small independent breweries that you know, perhaps don't package themselves. Um, do, do you think that is a challenge for breweries needing to lock in the um you know the 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 specialness to justify the price um potentially i mean i think it's uh it depends on what these breweries are chasing do they have a big mash tun that they have to fill have they got large overheads do they need to participate in that sort of higher volume lower um cost part of the market um or do they do they um continue to just brew really good um, niche more you know fill fill some of those those um those niche areas like people people are not necessarily just looking at value is a funny thing it's not just about price it's about the whole the whole story everything that someone's getting from from a beer and so if someone's emotionally invested in that 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 beer or that brand or they've met the brewer at the brewery and that brewery is just operating in its local area and everyone knows that that person well i think you know people are willing to open their wallets and pay more pay more for it i think um though that the days of um we've just found a beer style that hasn't been brewed in australia yet are over you know product differentiation you're not going to be successful with product differentiation anymore in this marketplace every beer style known to known to uh um, brewers has been brewed here now but i guess we're also seeing the, the, the flip side of that where even if you do create something five minutes later everyone's on the same bandwagon there's there's no barrier to People, you know, as soon as some, one person uses a Kaviki, everyone's using Kaviki. As yes. soon as some, somebody's putting lactose in a beer, everyone's because they, they, there's no barrier to, to doing that. Yeah, and that, that was uh, that's actually one of the biggest changes, I think, uh, that we've seen is this um, sharing of information. It's amazing now how quickly a trend that happens somewhere overseas or some some brewer does it overseas, suddenly it's spread around the world and it, other brewers are doing it within months. You know, it used to be... I used to, I remember when I went to the US, one of the... One of the uh, 
uh, motivations for me was that people used to say, well, that market is 10 to 15 years in front of where Australia is. Well, I think Australia's caught up very, very quickly. And I think the, the rise of uh, you know, the, the digital um, age and social media um, and, and also the change now where brewers can really just connect with consumers and communicate to consumers and um, uh, educate consumers like in a one-on-one conversation with them over their phone through Instagram or Facebook or through social media the way you could, we could only have ever dreamed of um, you know when we when we started our brewery so um, the, I think that is also really changing the face of of, of beer as well and how um, um, these beer styles are are evolving and how they're coming about you know and, and it seems like a very much more fast product cycle now for a lot of breweries um, that uh uh, are in the market and one of the things that we really focused on with gauge roads is okay and and when you look around a lot of the really successful breweries around the place they really had a hero brand that they focused on and to get that that length of time in the market and that cut through and that that's one thing that we did with single fin was to say okay what what is our um the brand that we that we really feel out of that portfolio um of of beers that we really feel um is the one we're really passionate about um about growing because we can't we can't do them all we can't be successful with them all and so then you have a look at have a look at um you know little creatures pale ale and you know um some someone like stone and wood with their pacific ale and you know um cooper's pale ale and you know they've you they've sort of got one or maybe two um, beers that really drive the drive the business and the rest of it is is supportive but it's funny you, you said single fin was the beer that we're most passionate about and beers like that aren't typically the ones that inspire passion in the liquid they inspire passion in the business because they target the broadest market they you know they're the easiest sell in some ways and it's not a criticism of the beer that's more an observation about the market is it the beer that you would have you know that, that, that as, a, as a young brewer you'd have sort of laid in bed at night sort of thinking about the day that you you were uh, sort of flood the world with single fin um or is 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 that as a businessman wanting to keep the doors open I, is, is it a pragmatic decision rather than a, a passion decision i i think i really i really love single fin and um i really love what that brand stands for and that um i think we like to try to beat to a bit of a different drum sometimes in that you know where if every other brewery is pushing IPA, um, I love that beer style. I love all beer styles. You know, I really do. I really have a genuine passion for beer, whether it's lager and except the uh, we were talking earlier. I'm not not huge on the alcohol free, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I, know, we'll, I understand we'll, we'll it's, a, it's, a, it's a big it's a big part of the market that um, is coming. But um, uh, I I uh, I can forget where we were going with that. But yeah, no, I mean, look as a as a pure diehard brewer who is experimenting in his back shed with you know a home brewer what have you is that the beer style that i would brew um as a as a play around thing well yeah probably not but for something that um i think can drive our business and our, our brand and be really um sell well for our customers i mean when we put that on tap that really sells well mm. it's really um uh um, driving our business forward and it's a and it's a um, great sessionable beer i think that when you get it fresh the the hop notes in that are really nice and i think being able to appreciate um what's in a a lighter style beer um and um and more delicate kind of flavors i can appreciate that just as much as i can with a with a bigger beer style um pale ales and these types of things um and and so 
Um, are we passionate about it from a brewing perspective and from a beer perspective? Yes, we are. Um, is it like the most, you know, challenging and, and crazy, most sort of uh, innovative kind of uh, beer that we're all playing around with in the background? Well, prob- probably not. But um, I think at the same time, uh, you know, the, we've been talking a little bit about the, quite a bit about the market. And, and so my, my sort of advice for, um, and you know other brewers uh, big or small is find something within your business that you really are passionate about and something that you want to um, go after and do that well and um, sometimes Jamie Cook got a great saying that I love he's one of my most respected guys in the industry mm. and he says to me a lot of these brewers tend to end up competing with themselves because they bring something out and then you know, they get a little sugar hit and the next next thing comes out and the next thing comes out and the next thing, you never get any traction because you're, you're constantly, not only are you competing with everyone else in the market, but you're competing with yourself. And I, I, re- I really respect respect that um, and um, that advice. And that's certainly something that we, yeah, we, we take to with our business as well. And, and that's why we say, well, we, we really want to do awesome IPA, right? Um, or we really want to do... Um, you know some sort of uh, sour sour beers and these types of things but can we do all that with our own with with the with the gauge roads brand not necessarily with the matzo's brand we've just launched a hard lemon um which is going phenomenally well but would that have worked in the gauge roads brand probably not and so um i think that the the benefit of us have being a multi-brand business and um, under the good drinks banner now um with with you know sales teams in each state and all the rest of it is that it gives us that ability to really service a whole lot of parts of the market that you really can't just do with one that we couldn't do with just one brand um and so yeah i think that's sort of maybe a roundabout way of going about answering the question yep. but i think you have to be passionate about something and that's yep and you did raise alcohol free beer we we're sort of looking a little bit of uh, the the market generally and where gauge roads fits into the market we we both had a, a chat off mic that you know neither of us we're both very conscious of the amount of alcohol we're consuming, um, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so please disagree with me if I'm not summarising this uh, our prior conversation correctly. Yeah, we, we, we're both very aware of that, um, but if we want to forego alcohol, we both would rather drink something other, other than beer. You know, um, and that's something that. Uh, our generation. So you're in your mid forties. I'm forty-one. Forty-one. Oh, early forty. Oh God, so you. Uh, I just. I've just lived a hard life. No, 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 no. You started. Well, it's just more an observation on your experience more so than your uh, than, than your appearance. Um, that I, I thought you were mid forties. Um, but I, I keep getting told that a generation coming behind will drink alcohol-free beer. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not sold on that, and I still haven't seen a lot of it in... But as, as a business where I, I guess you're the chief strategy officer, mm. you have to look over the horizon a little bit. Do you see the alcohol-free category as being something that is actually going to... The alcohol-free beer category? Um, and is it something that you are going to uh, to look ahead into? Um yeah, like so from a just from a personal perspective as well, like we were just as we were talking off air and I li- listened with interest to to the podcast that you had with Jane Lewis where she was talking about having a a month off the alcohol mm. um no month off beer or alcohol. Um I've been doing yeah very similar thing for for probably 5 or 6 years now where I I think it started with a month off and then uh that's that's worked up to 12 weeks or 15 weeks off beer 
and, um, and alcohol in general. Um, I sort of do that once every once every year. Um, this year we had a lot of new product development coming through, so it was very hard to do for me this year. But um, certainly, um, I'm a lot very conscious about. Um, I don't know if it was just something to do. I, originally, I was thinking, well, it's because I'm, you know, I've got young kids now and I'm getting a bit older and a bit more health conscious. But um, I think there really is that. Um, that sort of growing awareness of alcohol's role in, in our health and uh, in, with, especially with younger people. And when I talk to young people about their drinking habits and when you look at some of the data, they're definitely drinking a lot less than probably, you know, what we did and certainly what our parents did. Um, and I think it's a genuine part of the market that's continued to grow. People are really um, very they are concerned about their health and i think in in many respects it's a good thing for craft brewers because we're not necessarily trying to shovel you know millions and millions and millions of liters of the most drinkable beer down people's throats although i'm sure there are people in the business community that would would want to do that but um you know in in those sort of niche areas they're, they're all growing because people are moving from that those um you know mainstream style swill um easy to drink lager beers into into craft beer um and into categories like alcohol-free beer and into categories like um, mid-strength and low-carbohydrate beer. And, and um, in particular, I mentioned the hard, the hard lemon before, you know, that's going really well for us and that's a, a, a low-sugar drink as well, which, which um, people are very conscious about the amount of sugar that they're drinking and we're seeing that with the decline of, of soft drink and, and these types of things. So I think um, we... We will see that type, that part of the market open right up. Um, me personally, if I'm not drinking, um, I don't really get into the alcohol-free beer. I've tried to drink it. Um, and, and sometimes you've got to take that with a grain of salt because you and I are very close to the industry and so we sort of know and really appreciate a lot of the flavour and things that you are getting in beer. And I think with the alcohol-free beer, it's quite difficult to, to replicate that experience. If you could replicate the, you know, a, a full-strength beer in in an alcohol free beer then maybe it might be a different story but um i think it's it, at the moment um it feels like a bit of a compromise but that might just be because we're we're too close to it and people that are in that um you know emerging emerging uh, consumers into the into the industry um or into into um our drinking drinking beer uh probably they're not that close to it and they don't want to get um, drunk or what have you and maybe they do want to drink uh, drink the alcohol free beer and I think when you see things like the German Olympic team are drinking it after they're after their um, they've been working it's out sold as an isotonic sports it's drink being sold as, it's being sold as healthy for you and so I, I genuinely believe that it will open up probably as part of part of the market and yes we are looking at it um, but uh, you know we're, we're not um, we haven't got anything that's coming out you know right now but yeah no we are we are kind of looking at that part of it yeah okay um and i guess the last question is you know the the, the industry we've seen a couple of notable uh buyouts recently um you, you guys are publicly listed so i guess if anybody wanted to buy you then they, they could certainly uh, do that quite openly um what's your thinking about the you know, values in the market and you know it, the, the value of the gauge business at the moment you know I, I think you've been hovering around 10 9 or 10 cents um, a, a share which surprises me a little bit given all of the uh, business growth that you've had yeah I mean I, I sort of make it a, a bit of a um, 
policy not to really comment too much on our share price or, or even really look at it too closely. Um, I, I know that might sound strange, but um, my, my role is sort of really focused on what the business is going to be doing in two and three years' time rather than sort of really bothered too much about the valuation that we do or don't have in the in the here and now. Um, and I think, um, you know, those things probably start to um, come into consideration, you know, maybe if if you were, you know, looking to exit or something like that, but mm-hmm. that's, that's not the case. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, there have been – there continue to be buyouts um, I, uh, at the end of the day. Um, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, CUB and um, Line have sort of engaged in a in a more regional kind of strategy with their craft beer. You see, you know, the, the likes of, um, you know, Green Beacon and, and Bolter up here that's, you know, going to be very dominant in probably the Queensland space and, and you know, your Four Pines in New South Wales and, and so on, yada, yada, as you see, you know, Pirate Life in South Australia around the country. So who sort of knows where, where to next and, you know, Lions buying overseas and all this, this type of thing. And so that's just... I just look on as a as an observer to that very interested as like the rest of um, like the rest of the uh, you know industry um, and industry commentators. But I uh, you know that's not really part of our our strategy or, or what we're sort of really thinking. We at the moment you know we're investing ahead of the curve, so um, we have sort of doubled down on our investment in um, our salespeople, for example, um, our marketing people. We're really committed to. Um, you know, building a really, really strong brand here on the East Coast. We have now state-based sales team in, in Queensland, um, in New South Wales and Victoria. We have people in South Australia and we're putting pe- new people on all the time. I think there's now 43 or 45 people or so in that sales and marketing team here. Our head office is now uh, for sales is in Sydney. Um, the Good Drinks head office and um, there's marketing and sales people operating out of that. And so all that it costs a lot, a lot of money. Um, you could, at the end of the day, we're, we're valued, um, I think, you know, off the back of our earnings. Um, obviously, brand is a part of that and that, that forms the multiple, that mm-hmm. forms the share price. And, um, uh, you know, but the, who knows, like the you're sort of um, judged on your results in the here and now and they're very public and open for everyone to see and and I think we're doing really quite well in the marketplace all the indicators for us are that we're growing really really strongly and um, we seem to be doing things right which is nice um, now and who knows what what what, what will come but um, we're sort of not looking at some sort of short-term sellout we're really just positioning ourselves for um, for long-term kind of growth and uh, I think you know at the moment I'm up here in sunny Queensland with my family um, you know just been up here for a couple of weeks and it's been really really nice actually just uh, I just sort of wanted to be up here and be a part of the market for a while and um, look at okay what what are we doing next and so you know if I if we choose to build a little brewery here as a base for those those people um, that we have operating up here uh you know that's not going to come online for a couple of years and so the business is spending money on me being here looking looking at these sites and uh so on and so forth for something that they're not going to see any return on for at least two or possibly two or three years so i think um that's our that's our mindset at the moment is is looking long term um and um it's great 
I think for the for the business to be able to um, afford to have somebody like me dedicated looking at you know what we're, what we're going to be doing um, in the medium to long term as opposed to just sort of a, 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 quite often you can get caught up in the in the here and now and um, building little bit little breweries um, around the place I think is going to do wonders for us in, in the long term because firstly first and foremost it's going to give um, fresher beer to the market and you know we're going to have a little brewery here that will be um, and you know Redfern in Sydney and so on and so forth um, that's going to be brewing um, really fresh kegged beer uh, to the you know and and you know little probably small little packaging assets that's going to produce really really nice fresh uh, beer for the for local people in Queensland and local people in New South Wales and Victoria and so on and so forth and that will also provide us a nice base for our people and it's really when you when you have a brewery that's based in Western Australia but you have people operating in you know different states quite often they're operating out of their own homes or they're operating out of the back of a car and it's really nice for them to be able to then go to a uh, a brewery um, and uh, uh, recharge and take customers there and engage with the trade and really um, educate uh, the trade on what we're doing as well and um, yeah so we're really really excited about all that and um, whether whether that results in the share price going up or down or sideways in the meantime um, that's uh, yeah probably not really um, something I spend a huge amount of time thinking about but I, I, I understand a lot of people do look at I had, it yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll try and believe you when you say that you don't sort of uh, have a little app on your phone that sort of uh, gives to the uh, gauge roads there is bit. mate I've got, it, I've got it there because uh, I need to look at it it's uh, 8.7 cents right now so, so, so what is the market cap roughly for gauge roads 96.7 million so and how much beer are you making these days? It, it, it's in total, up, it's about 13 million litres. And how much of that is proprietal? How about, much of, is eight, under your brand? About 8 million. So, again, looking at that, Bolter, for example, sold recently 4 million litre brand. How much did they get that? Because I, I, I keep hearing different numbers. I've heard, <laughs> uh, I've heard very, very different numbers. I had my valuation for it, which would have been about half... Yeah, what when I look at some of the sales overseas and the, the size of our market, I'd sort of valued it at, at around about forty six, forty seven million. But mm. I've heard anything up to one hundred and fifty million. Mm. Um, how fair do you think the um, Gage Roads valuation is compared to some of the figures that are floating around for much smaller brands? Well, uh, the figures are rubbery everywhere I look. So mm. every time I hear, you know, you try and dig in, what did Mountain Goat get? What did Pirate Life get? What did what did uh, four pines and, and these types of things? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not it's not hugely relevant that that buyout um, price. I think the my understanding of the way the way those deals work is that there's there's an incentive for the owners to stay on, and they stay on for five, three, and five, five three yeah. or five year thing. And and if they can grow the volume over that period of time, they get a they get. Um, uh, like a higher payout so yep. the number isn't just a, a number I think it is a rubbery number until at the end of that five-year period so um, can can they grow and, and that at the end of the day we're a bit different we're, we're valued on the, the ASX and mm. the ASX looks um, at uh, you know the earnings that you that you produce and they also look at a multiple of earnings which is based off um, your brand value that you're adding and at the moment you know I think we're we might be 15 times earnings or something which is yep. which is pretty I think it's pretty fair. Okay. Um, for from a from a um, yeah for for brand value in the in the beer in the beer space, and you hear people getting bigger buyouts than that, and you hear people getting less 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 number than that. But at at the end of the day, like the the um, 
the people that are trading stocks on the ASX, um, I, th- I think they're sort of valuing these types of businesses at, at about 15 times, but that's uh, that's for probably more sophisticated investors than myself. Yeah, although, as I said, you'd, you'd have an interest in it. So I, I guess the, the, the question then is when you're out in the marketplace competing against a bolter, which will now soon be uh, um, you know, joining Pirate Life and Four Pines, for mm. example, when you're, you've got your sales team that you've invested in and you're mm. out in the marketplace, are you taking taps off those guys or are you taking taps off you know or are you fighting for the same taps that the small regional breweries uh, are doing you know are, are you fighting for taps one to six um one to yeah. seven on the bank or taps eight nine and ten i think one of the benefits and so i think what we have um at the moment with gauge roads and our, our business is that we do have a bit of a two-speed business at the moment so what we're doing in western australia and then we're, how we're going in in the other states um so in Western Australia, we're absolutely at loggerheads with, with Lion and CUB in, in those states for those taps. And we do have a brand portfolio that, that um, is, is strong enough to be able to take, um, uh, you know, a whole range of taps on, on a bar and, and be very, you know, very big, big part of the key, key um, retailers in, in Western Australia. And in, um, on the Eastern states, we're, um, we're probably a bit lesser known, but um, hopefully are becoming more known. We are still um, we're not at that position where we're where we um, are you know uh, uh, you know the dominant beer on uh, the bar and so yeah so we probably are maybe um, trying to get a rotational tap here or there or, or contract up um, uh, a, a, a tap here or there if we can but um, I think at the end of the day we are always probably competing with. Um, the bigger guys in 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 a, in a way i think um we don't really see ourselves sort of competing with the smaller guys we'd much rather convince a um publican to say hey that that uh that you know 60 percent tap contract that you've got you know now that you've got these other brands that you've managed to acquire rather than extending that to a to an 80 percent um, how about getting rid of a couple of the ones that don't really sell that well out of that keeping it at 60 percent and then letting us um letting us have a go on a couple of your taps with, you know, brands that are really resonating very strongly um, with consumers. You've got, you know, we've got now in our portfolio everything from ginger beer, hard lemonade, you know, mango beers through to, you know, craft beers, single fin, you know, these types of things. And now with Atomic with, with um, more more sort of challenging hop-driven beers. And um, we do have lager beer in the, the gauge portfolio to, to, to suit that. And um, in Western Australia, we have a brand called Albi, which is um, sort of a parochial WA brand. And so we we do have the the depth now in our in our business to be able to um, to be a, a much bigger part of people's businesses and um, I'd encourage anyone out there on the um, in the eastern seaboard that if you um, if you do want to look at an alternative to uh, to uh, the lions and the CUBs of the world then come and come and have a chat to us because we're open for business and <laughs> we're um, we're very pleasant and lovely people to do business with <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I know you need to get off I'll, I'll let, let, you'll, let you'll, this one you'll finish. leave you'll leave the plug you'll leave that final plug in or will that make the, make the cut <laughs> I'll, I'll let you finish on the sales pitch and, uh, um, but Aaron here always good to chat and I could uh, sort of keep chatting for, for some time but hopefully we'll do that over a bit next time but thank you very much for, for joining us on Beer of Conversation you know all, all the best for 2020 for Gage Roads. Brilliant. Thanks, Matt. No, it's always a, it was good to come and talk beer with you. Thanks a lot for having me.
And that was Aaron Heary, Chief Strategy Officer with Gage Roads Brewing. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation.